when I accepted roles within this industry, I mean, now payments where I'd grown up around, it felt like I was reverting to a base level entry role. So I was on on telesales or on the phones just as a bank of 10 people at desks. And it kind of felt like I already sort of was growing up around this person in payments that had senior roles in big companies. And I was trying to think in my head, how do I emulate a career like this? How do I, I looked towards my mum at that time and as someone I would like to become in terms of a manager, a people person, a man manager. She was very good at looking after teams and building teams, seeing them progress in their roles. And I was seeing a conflict in this because the roles at that time that I was working in, in, in an office, I had managers that were very different, that seemed harsh, that seemed uninterested, that seemed rude that sort of talked down to you like you were children rather than adults and I was this like early 20. Thank you so much for clicking on this episode of Millennial Entrepreneur. The ambition of the podcast is to show relatable stories from young entrepreneurs doing some incredible things to inspire the next generation, including you listening wherever you are. We've been doing this podcast for over three years and the ambition has not changed. The only thing that has changed is the scale of where we want to go. We want to bring on bigger guests for you guys to show more and more relatable and inspiring stories from young entrepreneurs across the world. The majority of you guys listening haven't subscribed to the podcast yet. All you have to do is click that subscribe button wherever you're listening on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and now allow us to bring on bigger guests and ask the questions to them that you really want to hear. And it really is that simple. So thank you again for clicking on the podcast and enjoy the episode. Hey, Kieran, how are you? Hey, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. It's amazing to have you on the podcast. And I can't wait to talk about payments. Like <laughs> we, we've met, we've met a lot of times before, and uh, yeah, really looking forward to talking about payments because you come from it from a very different background to what I've had on the podcast before, and that's a very interesting story. So I guess like before we jump in, what's your what's your sort of like background? Like I guess this is going back to say like childhood because you did start fairly fairly young in this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I'm fortunate in a way actually that. Um, I grew up around payments. So I work in payments, um, mainly supporting businesses with accepting card payments face-to-face, but also online. But I grew up um, with a mum who started in industry in the late 90s, um, working with some of the banks and retailers and businesses to help them process payments. This is quite early on in people having chip and pin machines and most businesses having a chip and pin machine or a a card payment facility. Um, And then as sort of my sort of childhood progressed and I got into secondary school, um, my mum was in the industry and at that time had um, a role for a um, payment processor where she was working from home predominantly at the beginning. Big old fashioned bulky computer in the living room. Um, and so I'd come in with my backpack and be, you know, with my brothers in the living room and she'd still be working till 6 p.m. Um, but we'd have a sort of couple hour window where I could overhear and I'd hear conversations or um, sort of names of banks, names of payment processors, who she was working with. So the terminology was starting to sink in even as a teenager. So it was like my early teens. Um, so then, yeah, as I finished my GCSEs, at this stage, my mum had progressed with that particular bank to um, head up a UK office and run it near near where we were based, where we grew up in Lincolnshire and um, look after all the applications. And, you know, back then, this is 2007, um, it was paper packs. Everything was wet signed. We didn't have e-signature docs and it wasn't as simple. So the idea being that rather than post a 
a paper pack in from a sales rep and then send it off to the bank and it have a load of errors and it could have been checked as an interim position. My mum ran a, a sort of an operations team and a scrubbing team that just checked in and um, that that was all, all correct and above board and then sent it to the bank. So there was no sort of getting it wrong and it coming back and wasting time. So, yeah, as soon as I finished on a Friday, my GCSE, my last GCSE, Monday morning was last summer was Monday to Friday, working in that office, checking paper packs, speaking to sellers, uh, checking the signatures on all the pages, about seven or eight signatures needed on the different forms, and just making sure it was all all correct for the bank, really. Um, so that was my first introduction, other than just sat in the living room and hearing it, actually working and seeing how would I go about getting an application processed. That helped me. I went to do my A-levels. But then that helped me already know after my levels, if I became a field seller at 18, as soon as I could, I already knew how to process a paper application and how to fill one out. So all I had to do is go and speak with business owners myself and um, talk about the different price points and the different terminals at that time, and then complete the paperwork and send it into the office. So that's what I did. I um, got the opportunity at 18 to sit on a training course, spent a week learning, um, already knew a lot of it because I'd grown up around it, but then it actually just got me you know, ready to go out in the field on my own in my car, look after businesses around Lincoln, around different sort of cities like um, like Scunthorpe and, and, and Grimsby and different places in around Lincolnshire where I grew up uh, and speak to business owners and help them. And, and I guess when we talk about sort of a later sort of progression with my company at the moment where I'm founder and MD, um, was that I realized as an 18-year-old, I was encouraging business owners to switch and trust me for their payment processing. They'd been in business decades. I was this young kid. So now I'm in my mid-20s. Why couldn't I start my own brand and encourage merchants to join that brand and payment process? So it kind of, I already sort of given myself the the sort of the conviction in my mind that I could go out and attract more business owners to my brand you were 18 though so yeah it makes sense so you were like working alongside your your mum, i guess when you finished your gcses and then as time went on like what what pushed you at 18 to go into sort of field sales within within payments was it literally just like the money aspect partly the money aspect um partly because actually what i wanted to do as a career what i wanted to do when i left school really was do acting so i was doing a lot of the audition circuits i had an agent in london i was going to auditions often last minute so the ability to be sort of self-employed and go and run a diary and have sales applications but you know be able to actually be away at an audition for a day and then go back i was i didn't have to red, be regimented into a nine to five so you know that's the benefit and the beauty of self-employed you run it around your life it's a work-life balance and at that time as 18 you know i didn't have a mortgage i didn't have you know all of these pressures on me so i didn't need thousands of pounds a month um i'm still living with parents so yeah it made sense to try that and uh, see how i got on with it and and enjoyed it but then when it when you turn 19 because it's funny because you you put you construct your life together for that flexibility yeah. in order yeah. to sort of prioritize the acting side of things but then your life like changed for the good when i was 19 i became a dad so that was um you know at 18 i found out that my my girlfriend at the time my my, my son's mother was pregnant um she was 16 i was 18 this was very quick this wasn't planned and this happened and it was right well 
you have to grow up now or you have to you have to stand by this relationship this child um you have to figure out you're going to live together so you're gonna have to get rent for the first time and bills uh, and you've got this baby in the mix and you and you've got family and, and it's all great look my family and parents although very surprised because this was not planned they expected me to go on and either go to university or have a career and then do it the right way or the right in when i say the right way sort of like timed correctly um they were very very supportive as soon as riley was born they've been fantastic grandparents you know doting grandparents so that's been brilliant but it still meant that i had to try and figure out well how do i become a dad and, and look after his child or put food on the table or or what do i do for a career to progress it when um yeah a lot of friends just couldn't really wrap their heads around that so that again it, it has its own challenges that you sort of coming in a way alienated from friends because you're in a completely different scenario all of a sudden it's like oh my god you've seen kira's got a child and uh he's a dad already um but yeah for me um you know riley's 13 this summer we have a fantastic relationship um i'm early 30s and, and and i've got this son who's at the same secondary school as me now already so i can really understand what he's going through each week so yeah it's a good it's a good position to be in there but like at the time of course you were you were uh you were you know very young 18 years old and you you prioritize fe flexibility in your life in order to sort of pursue an acting career but as you said your life just changes at that point because you have to provide for a, a family and so in terms of like life priorities what kind of changed at that point like what what sort of like were you still in field sales? Did you decide to like pivot your life? You didn't go to university, but like, yeah, what, what happened at that stage? Yeah, it, it influenced it. So um, although myself and, and Riley's mom separated sort of 18 months later, um, I'd moved into a salaried office-based role for consistency. You know, I knew the, the salary was coming in. I knew I had commission targets. I knew I could sell over the phone as well as field sales. So it was in this industry, but it was based on a phone in an office. Um, so yeah, that that was a decision I had to make at the time, like you say, against that flexibility because it was like, well, you have to be sensible or serious now. Um, and I was just trying to figure out uh, how this career could could pan out or could I go do something else and and at the time that was kind of a really similar time where I stopped acting and stopped sort of it was very hard to have a, a sick day or a holiday day last minute to go to an audition and pay travel to London or Manchester to miss out on earnings in a, an office role that I needed so I'd started to get you know commitments so that's where yeah the two worlds started to separate and then I was focused on more of a career so then your your son was born and then um, I guess like how did how did life progress at that point I had a moment at 22 in the summer where I felt like I'd been positioned into this industry I'd now lost the flexibility and I was being sensible and serious but I was um in a way sort of frustrated by that so i knew i wanted to go on and achieve it i knew i wanted to you know push myself i didn't want to accept just a, a base salary or a safety net I, I never really liked the idea of doing this throughout my 20s and my 30s so at that time i actually just um reached out to a lot of families and, and campsites in france south of france um heard back and and drove my car from lincolnshire straight through to south of france and and lived for a summer working on a campsite and just trying to speak a bit of french and um get away from an office environment away from sales targets and try to figure out i had this you know two-year-old son at this time and 
just try and understand all of that you know when you when you go through a separation as parents or young parents as well there's a lot of there's a lot to organize a lot to resolve between you there's a lot you know it depends on your relationship we have a fantastic relationship now and we, we co-parent really well but as early 20s or late teens and, and a bit of friction and tension there there's a lot to figure out um so yeah france and then came back straight into a, a state agency and then driving ambulances on blue lights um again so yeah a bit different it sounds like here and like the reason why you left that the the phone sales role and then you went to france and then you came back and you did all these different random roles it sounded like i guess life definitely changed for you but i guess like you didn't have that fulfillment within that within that phone sales role and so you were trying to like search around and and obviously like separating with a partner that given given that you separated so young like that's another thing is because if you're with her for for a long time she kind of becomes part of your identity as well so like you lose a, a part of your identity there so like there's a lot of different things here in terms of like what's going on in your life and so yeah how are you kind of feeling between that like time frame because there's just like so many things quite conflicted you know there's one one side of me that when i accepted roles within this industry i mean now payments where i'd grown up around it felt like i was reverting to um a base level entry role right so i was on us on as telesales or or, or on the phones just as a bank of 10 people at desks and it kind of felt like i already sort of was growing up around this 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 person in payments that had senior roles in big companies and i was trying to think in my head how do i emulate a career like this how do i i i, I looked towards my mum at that time and as someone i would like to become in terms of a manager a people person a man manager she was very good at looking after teams and building teams um seeing them progress in their roles and i was seeing a conflict in this because the, the roles at that time that i was working in, in in an office i had managers that were very different that seemed harsh that seemed uninterested that seemed rude that sort of talked down to you like you were children rather than adults and i was this like early 20s and i had my own child so there's this real conflict between how do i get there and where am i am right now and and in the middle of this i'm trying to figure out relationships child and sort of fatherhood um you know your own pressures from even like your own parents thinking well you've made this decision or this has happened or what are you going on you're not going to university what are you going to do you know so there's a lot of conflict there but um i was always confident that i'd, I'd, I'd figure a way through it and or at least push myself i wasn't going to just sit there and settle and sit and just keep turning up week after week at that office that essentially is what pushed you to to start your own business because you were you you were very unfulfilled in that role you had all these different pressures and yeah it's it, it can be very challenging because you, you you feel like you don't belong in this stage of your life that's definitely it because it felt like when I looked around, so in the telesales role, I, I started CIP at 26. So at 25, I was back in a telesales role in the industry, um, working alongside some of the same people in my early 20s. Although I'd had a couple of years out or a few years out, they were still in that role. So it, it for me, it had um, justified in my head that this will be the reality because those same people are still in this office three, four years on, and I've got an experience you went, you so went, much. After you came back from France, did those random jobs, you went back to the same exact role exactly so i did a few different roles and jobs you know i loved driving blue lights and ambulances but it turned into a lot of night shifts and you know at that time it just felt like um i'd met somebody new and got married at 25 
Uh, we're, we're getting our first house and it felt like weekends and evening and night shifts was not right. And I could go back to an office role and go straight back in with commission targets and get a sensible nine to five. Um, but within that first year, we're seeing managers that come in or work under managers that I already looked at and realized I had so much more experience of this industry than and knew more about it. And so I was thinking, well, how they've got this opportunity? How how do I climb the management ladder? And I did try it at that company before I set up CIP. Um, I did try to present to some of the sort of the management team and some of the directors sort of ideas on social media and how we could build a brand and how brand building around um, a payments company could be useful in the future. Um, and it kind of fell on deaf ears. I was just left in that telesales room, and that sort of, you know, for me frustrated me a little bit because I'd put time in outside of work to build that deck and presentation and try show myself um but um you know everything happens for a reason so then I got to the point where I was like right well I spoke I sat down I was thinking about it anyway I spoke to my mum I said I think I can build a brand of my own and start from scratch and start something get I know how to sell I know how to do field sales telesales applications I can speak to different departments and banks um and there wasn't a big no. There was a, yeah, I think you probably could. Um, not that they were going to financially invest in me or anything. There was no investment there. But there was a, definitely a, yeah, we can. I can make some introduction. I can help you if you want to do that. Uh, you can get started. So that's how I started CIP and um, left that full-time role um, last month's paycheck and some credit cards that I could use. And that was kind of living off those for the next sort of six to nine months and just getting by and taking the minimum I could. Kieran, when I when I have people on the podcast, like they're obviously, you know, this is this is a podcast for young entrepreneurs. And the reason why like a lot of the young people on the podcast start a business is because and you ask them, you speak to them, they they always say, you know, you're young, you've got no real like risk responsibilities and things like that. The position that you were in though, you did have you did have responsibilities. You had you had a child. You had a you had a relationship. You had a mortgage. These are these are a lot of responsibilities that someone has to has to uphold. And so, for you starting this business, where you know you you don't know it, it, it's still uncertain, right? Because you you don't know whether it will take off. That like, how do you kind of like mentally prepare yourself and you know to to quit your job? in order to like start the start CIP the pressures that I had on so quite a few other people I spoke to and other founders and and and, and young young entrepreneurs young founders say to me you know uh, I'd love to do it or people that would like to be entrepreneurs I'd love to do it but we're hoping to have a baby or I'm, I'm due to get married next year or I've got our first mortgage and they're always blockers but the the month we set CIP up was um the first month mortgage payment I had of my first ever mortgage. So I'd been married the summer before we were moving into our first house. We, we got our first mortgage. So I had a six year old son from a previous relationship. I was obviously contributing to and seeing. So yeah, there's, um, there was a lot of pressure there still to, to but would have put other people off. But what I saw was uh, there's only upside. So the downside is it doesn't work and I can definitely a hundred percent go get another of these roles in an office and be on telesales and I'll be on the same base salary with targets. So for my mind, it was the, there's only upside. So why don't I, I try it now? If, if not now, when, uh, 
and it just need make sense to to not do it. That hundred percent makes sense. So, like, where did the idea for CIP come from? Like, how did you actually start it? Again, it's kind of amalgamation of knowing I could start a brand. I wanted it to be transparent for business owners, so I knew that I wanted to um, support them with understanding there's more options out there for payments nowadays. I don't just have to go with the bank or the high street bank. Um, and they don't have to stay with the option they've got at the minute. They could save money elsewhere or there might be some fees that are unnecessary. Um, and then also I wanted to give them that ongoing support. So there's a lot of um, promises made around this time, you know, five, six years ago um, of great price, but then you never see the sales rep again. And there's no support or technical support and there's a lot of friction and frustration. So I felt, can we be more transparent up front? Can we build long-term relationships and look after merchants that have you know, great reputation? And then the idea was that you know, a kid starting out on his own, uh, or at this point, mid-20s, no previous business experience. Well, it needs to kind of be professional. So I want it to be credible. So card industry professionals, we're going to try and make sure that we are, you know, professional and transparent and supportive. You want um, to be professional, so you put professional in the name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to pressure, put pressure in the name. And now really, like, look at that every time I have to type in at cardindustryprofessionals.co.uk and it's a mouthful. I just think, oh, I should have picked something shorter. Uh, but, yeah, so that's why it's... Um, um, CIP, so everyone refers to it as CIP, uh, which is good. It rolls off the tongue. A lot of merchants know it as CIP. Um, and so, yeah, I just I was in the point where um, the brand was ready. I spoke with my mum at the time and, and said, could I work with um, another company that had a partnership with the bank so I wouldn't get my own direct partnership with zero experience and zero customers? You know, you've, you've got to have a little bit more than that. Um, but you could work with a company that had it and, and refer business in and show and, and use your brand and, and build your reputation that way. So I did that for the first year. And then it was a year in that I actually sat with Lynn and John. So Lynn's my mom and John, who's our sales director, um, and said, I'll split this company three ways and I'll give you each um, a third of the shares and you'll be operations director and you'll be a sales director and I'll be founder director, um, which has now become since then managing director. Um, and we'll work with the banks for the next six months and have contracts by the start of 2019. We want to have direct contracts with the banks and put business through. We want to get revenue from the banks for every transaction processed. Um, and that's what we did. We had a number of direct contracts with, with banks by Q1 2019, um, yeah, including some of the biggest names in the world, like uh, iZettle, who were owned by PayPal. They've been acquired by PayPal for billions. Yeah, and that's my next question is like, so how did you, how did you actually do that? Like, how did you actually like strike up these, these deals and partnerships? So we had, by this time we had a brand. We were a year in. I'd started, I'd, I knew quite quickly that if we were going to be credible, I needed to ask for trust pilot reviews. I needed to show that we were giving and delivering on that service. Um, I needed to be consistent with social and and have this brand and this sort of similar sort of message go out across social channels that, you know, it's just you put in a few posts a week up initially, uh, use free social channels, b build a basic website, um, nothing fancy. Uh, not didn't cost much at all um, but at least there was something incredible so then these banks go and look at you and check you out they can see you've got trust pilot reviews from customers they can see what you're trying to do and what you're about and then obviously sitting and negotiating with the banks is saying well we can commit to x amount of sales per month 
they want the sales. So you just discuss commercial terms with them. But we're fortunate, I think, as well, because of Lynn and John's experience that nearly, you know, every bank we spoke to presented an offer or commercial discussion said we'd like you to partner with us so it, at that point it gave us options um and then it was just the, ter- the turnaround time for q1 to get going so so w- within that space of like the year so y- the idea was to create like a better service for for the merchants mm-hmm. when you say better service like were you focusing more on so like this comes down to the whole thing of like how do you differentiate yourself from, from I guess, like what's already out there in terms of existing solutions? Like, were you thinking of the more personal experience in terms of like putting more like man hours in order to exist the, the relationship? Or were you thinking, can you do a better like software or like, like what was the sort of like idea in terms of like, yeah, what's, what's kind of lacking in the, in the industry already? It was um, at that time, and it's still very much the case today, uh, the majority of the the traditional banks and the major players have one solution, one price point. Very often they can flex their rates and their pricing, but you kind of take it or leave it and you're shoehorned into it. And we wanted to use these relationships with different banks. And at the time we started with three, we've now got four that we work with directly to at least tailor the solution to the business owner. So the florist who's next door to the hairdresser, who's next door to a restaurant, they've got very different business profiles. They'll probably need a different card machine or price tariff for each one. But if you went, if they all three of them went to the bank, it'd be very much the same machine with similar price point. So it was like, can we go and tailor a solution because you're coming to me as the the hair salon saying you've got this particular pain point. Well, we know that this bank removes that pain point. So here's why we're going to use that bank. We'll remove that pain point and here's the pricing, here's the fees. And then that's where, you know, the, the five star reviews how would come you from. Get, how would you get the different banks before you get those customers? So that was where it came down to negotiating with them all. We spoke to a number of them and... Um, just cherry picked ones that we felt had the best USPs to complement one another. Some were software based, some obviously um, like iZettle, which is Zettel by PayPal, are fantastic for software, fantastic for sort of um, businesses in hospitality and food and beverage. Uh, whereas, you know, other banks we work with, like Elevon or Evo Payments, had different USPs and price points, but are fantastic for retail or for service sector, like an MOT garage that wanted just a a chip and pin machine but wanted to know what they were paying and and you know we were up against banks and people that treated them as a number of one of many rather than a name so again that service level if you can make them feel a little bit more special um keep that relationship ongoing get the five-star review and and keep checking in on them then they refer business friends or family to you and, and it just kind of evolves from there really but i knew as soon as i got one i could get two then two to ten ten to a hundred hundred to thousand um and just replicate it from there really so how did you get this is probably like one of the last questions i'll wrap up because i, I want to go too deep because i come from a b2b as well like i'm in b2b right now and it's like when i, I like getting into that so in terms of um so how did you get your first like initial customer groups that's the, that's often the most difficult. The first straight away was me in a backpack. So I was, you know, replying to emails in an evening, but trying to walk around in the daytime around towns, go to speak to the hairdresser or the florist, and say, "Look, can I look at your bill and your pricing? And I can do the paperwork and sign you up." I was fortunate that quite a few of them, again, because I knew at eighteen years old I'd sold for another bank, um, 
it's relationships people buy from people and i could speak to them they could trust me i delivered on that service i'd get the five-star review and then i'd use in my evenings um linkedin mainly to to message other resellers other companies and say look here's what i'm trying to do or what we're trying to do at cip um here's some of the banks we're working with in the usps like can you go to your merchants and take away these pain points at the minute no come work with CIP and then you can go out there and earn commission and, and, and sell this. Um, so I knew probably because I had the perspective of being a field seller, I knew how you operated day to day. I knew that I didn't want sellers and there's many sellers out there that still will avoid an area after a, a week or two of canvassing because they don't want to go back there because they know what maybe they've sold or missold or misrepresented. I didn't want people to, um, go to sleep with that hanging over them so yeah cip's philosophy around the transparency and the support and the professionalism is that every one of those sellers can go to bed at night peaceful and happy and wake up and be excited for the day um and i wanted to replicate that rather than just me have a hundred of me or, or more than a hundred of me and so it was linkedin it was getting the message out private messaging connecting and then me running training sessions initially and then you know as we brought in a couple of part-time staff, a couple of students on a year out from uni that needed a year out, um, some just to work for the summer. Um, it grew to your first full-time, and now we've got 17 at head office. So, you know, it just one rolls onto the other. Um, but it's all just that stepping stone, really, and take it one step at a time. So to finish off the podcast, Kieran, because I, I, I absolutely love your story. Was there any, was there a point at which within the first year, probably especially when you're like, pure pure grind like pure hustle in terms of like just messaging people on linkedin and i know for a fact that most people just don't reply but that's just the that's the that's just part of the game but in terms of like you were living off credit cards at this point you know you had a, a family to provide for so was there any point like within that first year where you were like i might have made a mistake here like i want to go back like was there any doubt in your mind at that point or not no 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 it it no, and um, the worst part, that, and I've, I've told this story before, but the hardest time I've had was that first Christmas because leaving off credit cards, I really couldn't get much at all for Riley as a present. Um, and so that was like the bit that sort of stuck in my mind as like, I've got to get, you've got, I've got to build next year. I've got to get to a point where we'll be comfortable in my future. I, I fully believe that I'll be more comfortable than just sitting in an office and taking a base salary and, and buying him a couple of Christmas presents. Um, but that was noticeable that Christmas because that was, you know, credit card territory. Um, and, and so that stands out, but there was nothing other than that being a driving force or like pushing me on, propelling me forward to dig my heels in. It, it was always self-belief. I could just see one to two, two to 10, 10 to hundred and that the money would follow. So I've never, I've got a lot of friends that go into it as well and expect to be an overnight millionaire or within a year. Um, that was never the case. It's still not the case. It was still on sensible salaries, but um, you know, you're building a valuable brand and company. Um, so I just know, even now I know if we continue to do the level that we're doing, the numbers we're doing, process millions of transactions, the money will follow, the revenue will follow, the valuation will follow. Um, so just just keep focused on that, on, on each customer, really. That's an amazing story, man. Well, I wish you the best of luck. Like, it's Thank you. an amazing story that you have. Not many people know as well, just from looking at, like, looking at you, looking at your, your brand. Because, yeah, especially when it comes to B2B, when, like, you might not be necessarily the face of the brand as much, although you do put yourself out there. Like, 
this story doesn't usually come with it. It's like with with a lot of like B two C where like they actually put their face on the brand and they do a lot of like personal branding behind it. Yeah. The story becomes more important, I think. But this this for me, yeah, is, is a very good podcast in order to record with you. So thank you so much, Kieran, for coming on. How can people stay in touch with you and what you're doing? Yeah, no, really appreciate the time and uh, the the feedback there as well. But um, anytime people want to follow me on LinkedIn or Instagram. Um, you can do one now. I'm on Twitter as well, but not as much. But Instagram and, uh, and LinkedIn, really. And, and check out CIP. We're on all social media pages and platforms. Um, yeah, so give me a message. 